Thank you, Rachel. Hello, guys, again. This, my name is Alex Sheets, again. It's a pleasure. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Guys, I'm honored. I'm honored. Um, today, we are going to be in Exodus 16, uh, following Exodus 15. And uh, I want to open up with a question. Um, have you ever taken a test that you were not ready for? Okay, we have some, some people that just did, so we're just going to pray for some guys. A lot of noise up here. We're just going to pray for them. Um, remember, God's grace is enough for you. Um, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a pop quiz. You, you walk in the day of and you hear, you hear pop quiz and your heart just sinks because pop quizzes are the worst. Maybe you were overconfident in the class and the class was easy, it was easy, you were studying it, you were getting it, until the day you walk in and all of a sudden, boom, it wasn't easy anymore and the test, all the stuff was not on it and you just weren't prepared for it. Maybe you forgot about the test. Show of hands, has anyone ever forgot about a test? Okay, I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> I appreciate your honesty. I also appreciate Christian accountability right now. Um, if I can just be honest, um, there were many times in Bible college when I also forgot about some tests. I would just walk in and you see everyone else around you with the good old Scantron on their desk and you're just like, oh no, this is not the day I expected. Jesus, take the wheel, take the grades, take my life, take everything, Jesus, because I... I need you. You start, you start bargaining with God in those moments, you know, like, like Jesus, I'm going to go just evangelize everyone if you'll just get me through this test. It really stinks not being ready for a test, and it really stings to fail one. Many of us have experienced that in many ways. Tonight, the Israelites are in a test, and they will fail big time. They will fail. But I want to just say this, even at the outset, we're going to get into this later, that remember, it is not about them passing or failing a test. It is about who God is forming them into. That is where we're going today. But before we get there, I just want to take a moment to remind you where we are in our study. So we've been walking through Exodus, and in Exodus 15, we've, we've hit a switch. We've, we've hit a different um, a point. So Exodus 1 through 15 has been talking about salvation and deliverance of the Israelites. The Israelites were trapped and abused and in slavery for 400 years. For 400 years, they had to live as slaves for Egypt. Then God hears them and saves them, and brings them out. He leads them across the Jordan, not the Jordan River, the uh, Reed Sea or the Red Sea. I'm getting my timelines confused. He leads them across uh, the sea on dry land, and then they sing the song from Exodus 15, God, who is like you among the gods? Lord, you are my strength and my salvation. Lord, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. The Israelites just won the Super Bowl. They are excited. They just won Bedlam. Gosh, dang it. Go Pokes. Go Israelites. Whatever it is. Go something. 
Um, they are excited. And not only did they just have a major victory, they've got out of slavery, they are going towards Exodus 19. And Exodus 19 is a huge moment in their history. It's a marriage ceremony between God and Israel when they become the holy people of God, when he says, I will be with you and you will be my nation forever. You'll be a holy priesthood, all of you. Exodus 19 is where they're going. Um, Things are going really good for the Israelites, which makes tonight's text so confusing It's literally the next paragraph after the song of Moses, the the victory song in Exodus 15, they fail and they fail in a big way and they'll fail again and they'll fail again. They'll fail three times. There's three stories back to back where the Israelites are failing. The Israelites in this moment are in the wilderness a place that is associated with the testing of faith of God's people. And instead of, choosing, instead of choosing faith and trust based on what they had just seen, they choose fear and doubt and control. And for our text today, they choose to grumble. It's an interesting word. They choose to grumble. Also called quarreling, complaining, even testing God. And we're going to talk more about grumbling next uh, half. Um, but just to say it right now, grumbling seems to be a big deal when it comes to the Bible. And it's something that we don't really talk about much. I know you never really think, like, I, I don't really grumble. But um, I think a lot of us grumble in many ways. Uh, one, one way that I catch myself grumbling or at least I know I'm in a spirit where I I begin grumbling is when I start doing this. You know what I mean? Like I start like, like breathing really like just heavy sighs all the time. I just like, I sound like something happens. I'm just all the time. Um, It's my way of exasperation. Um, Grumbling is the vocal displeasure stemming from distrust when things don't go our way. There's three stories of it. Um, one thing I want to point out is that it is within one month of their departure, one month, that they lapse into a pattern of distrust. They lapse back into doubt. They even go so far as accusing the one who saved them, their savior, of attempted murder. We're going to get into that in a moment. But I want to suggest, as crazy as it sounds, Going from Exodus 15 to them accusing God of trying to murder them, I want to suggest that the stories are meant to shock us for a reason. That they grumble, they go back to their old pattern, and God uses their grumbling, even when he just saved them, as an occasion not to punish them, but to teach them something about himself to teach them that he is their provider. That's gonna be the main theme for tonight, that God is their provider. And before we jump into Exodus 16, I just wanna say this. As you reflect on Exodus 16, as I've got to reflect on Exodus 16 from this week, you really get to see the fatherhood of God just on full display, that people accuse him, people disrespect him, and he just gives grace upon grace upon grace. 
So it's been very cool reading it. We're going to read Exodus 16, 1 through 16, and then we're going to circle back to two main points. We're going to talk about tests, God testing his people, and then we're going to talk about the significance of the miracle of manna before we close it down for the first half. So Exodus 16, 1 through 16 says this. The entire Israelite community departed from Elim and came to the wilderness of Sin. Interesting, it's not actually Sin. God's not leading them into Sin. It's just uh, Sin as in Sinai, Um, just in case anyone's wondering, Um, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had left the land of Egypt, the entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only... We had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into the wilderness to make the whole assembly die of hunger. Just angry. You know, they're just hungry. God, you came out here to kill us. I mean, just, you just feel it. Um, Exodus, Exodus 3. We'll keep going. We'll, get, we'll come back to that later. And that'll be the second half. Um, verse four, then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, this evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the Lord's glory because he has heard your complaints about him. For who are we that you complain about us? Moses continued, the Lord will give you meat to eat this evening and all the bread you want in the morning. For he has heard the complaints that you raised against him. Who are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. As Aaron was speaking to the entire Israelite community, they turned to the wilderness, and there in the cloud, the Lord's glory appeared. The Lord spoke to Moses, I have heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will eat bread until you are full. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God." So at evening, quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, there were fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked another, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. And Moses said, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. That is our text for tonight. One of the things I want to start with on this session is the idea of God testing his people, testing his people. I'll read it again. It's uh, around verse four. Then Moses said, to, the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. And then he says, on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it'll be twice as much as they gather. So he says, I'm going to test them. And here's the test. On the, gather each, every, every day. On the sixth day, gather twice for the next day. Um, two things come to mind. One, God tests his people. We're going to talk about that in a second. But two, if I was there, 
And I'm like, this is the test of God. I'm like, gosh, that's easy. Give me a hard one. You know, like all I got to do is remember what day it is. And I got basically I'm halfway there. By the way, I actually forgot what day it was today. So I'm not sure if I'd be in good one. But I'm sure someone around me would say like, hey, by the way, today's like you know, Friday. So Alec, twice. So anyway, but the idea that God gives his people tests sounds kind of odd to us. If we can just take a moment for that. It sounds kind of odd because when we say tests, what brings to mind for us are pop quizzes, um, IRS audits, something like that. Um, maybe weed out classes. Have any of you guys ever had a weed out class? A class that just feels like the entire thing is designed for you to fail. Like it's just test after test after test. And there's zero grace from the professor. Like it's just, all of it just seems to be working against you. Um, I can say good news. Uh, God is not your professor um, looking to fail you and his people at the first wrong answer. His tests are not like that. He is not putting them in unbearable situations because he knows that they will fail. God wants his people to be victorious. He just redeemed them. He just did all that work to get them out, and he's testing them for something. What tests are, first point, I'll give you two, tests are synonymous with training. Tests are synonymous with training. Like a coach doing drills, oftentimes till you fail so that you can get better and you can know where the point of failure is, that is the idea of a test. Now, I've had plenty of coaches. I've played sports at least till I was 18, uh, my senior year in high school. And I've had good coaches and I've had bad coaches in my life. And the bad coaches were really bad, and the good coaches that I really wanted to emulate. Um, what made the bad coaches bad is they didn't really care about me, you know? They did anything in their power to win the game, and I was just kind of a means to their end. And plus, I didn't really live great lives, but that's not really the point right now. Um, they didn't really care. They didn't really care about me. The good coaches, oddly enough, didn't care about me in the moment, you know? They didn't care about me in the moment. They cared about who I was becoming. And they had that vision. And they challenged me towards that because they not only cared about the game, they cared about me and encouraging me and challenging me to that. If I found a good coach, I could run through a wall for that guy. Didn't matter if he made me do sprints all day long. I respected him because I knew he loved me and he wanted what was best for me. God is good. And God has your best in mind. And by putting his people in these tests, he is putting them in a position where they cannot succeed by the old way of doing things. They cannot succeed unless they learn a new way of living, and that is by faith. God is training them towards Exodus 19, towards what it means to be the people of God. 
And that is because, point number two, tests, the tests of God are about formation. They're about formation, not about failure. Formation is about the type of person you are becoming. And it is through passing and failing these tests that God's people learn obedience and trust that is required of the relationship that God calls them to. It ultimately doesn't matter if they succeed every time. They're not gonna be less his people if they fail one time. It is, what matters the most is that they can trust him. Holy men and women that he can dwell fully among because they trust him and they obey him and they've learned it by being trained, by being formed in his image. God's tests for his people are for their benefit and for their formation. Make no mistake, church, that your faith will be tested. God will put you in situations in your life that you cannot succeed without trusting in him. He will put you in situations where faith will be the last thing that you want to do. He'll put you in situations where the old way of life seems so tempting, anything but continuing to follow Jesus. How do I know that? If you look at the text for tonight, the people of Israel, they said that slavery back in Egypt seemed way better than following God in this moment. It's so tempting to look back when we're in the middle of a test. And God is doing that so that you can grow and learn what the life of faith is. Remember, if you are in a season a wilderness, a desert, whatever it is, a time that is trying for your faith, that God is always doing something. He's always doing something to form a character in you, a character that can trust in him. Will you lean into that when the tests come? That is the question. Second thing I wanna talk about from, coming from this text is the significance of manna. Starting in verse 13, it says, So at evening quail came and covered the camp. In the morning there was a layer of dew all around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, there were fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, What is it? Because they didn't know what it was, Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. The miracle of manna. Moses calls it the bread of the Lord, and the people of Israel, they say, I don't know what this is. Like, what is it? They, they literally call it what, what bread. That'd be, in our language, we would say, like, what? This bread, like, like what bread? Like, if it was Spanish, we'd go, like, okay? Like, I don't know what this is. What bread? Wonder bread. I don't know what it is. Um, it is something that's so out of their description. It is a miracle that God gives to them. God feeds them to take care of them. And there's three big points that I want you to catch from this miracle. The first is that it is God's gift to his people. It is a miracle from God to meet his people's needs, his people's physical needs. They cry out and he meets them. 
God is providing for his people in their desperation. And I just want to say, note the intentionality of God. I don't actually think we got to the text uh, tonight, but it says that not a single person was without need. Every single person got just what they needed by the gift of God. They would go out, some would collect a lot, some would collect, collect a little, and it was just enough for them. God remembered and intentionally provided for every single person. He gave them, in the words of Jesus Christ, their daily bread every day. Where do you think Jesus got that? I think Jesus reflected on this story a lot that God provides for his people, that God can and will give you what you need, that God remembers and will provide for everyone just what they need. But it wasn't just every person. It wasn't just every person. It was every person, every day, for 40 years. That's verse 40 at the end of the chapter, showing that God faithfully provides. Can you just picture that? For 40 years, some of you guys are 18. You haven't even lived half of that. For your entire life, every single day, you would wake up and you would be fed by God. Every single night, you would go to bed and you would depend on God being there and he would do it every single morning. He never forgot. He always took care of his people. Every single day for 40 years, God faithfully provided for them. I have really good parents. I've been blessed. Uh, growing up, um, but sometimes my mom wouldn't uh, wouldn't be home. My mom was the was the cook. Uh, she was she was a good cook. I, I really love my mom's cooking, um, as a good son should. Amen. Um, you better say amen than that. Um, and sometimes my mom just wouldn't be home. Uh, maybe she was out with a girls' night. I don't know. Um, and if she ever wasn't home there was not dinner for that night because dad certainly was not cooking. It was not in his DNA, wasn't happening. And on those nights, we call those peanut butter nights because we got PB&J and it'll sustain us and thank God for the grace of PB&J. I am alive today for that. God never missed an opportunity. He was never away from home with his people. He was always there providing, showing them that he can be trusted, that he faithfully provides for his people. I just wanna ask even now, what is it in your life that is too big for you to trust in God? For 40 years, the Israelites learned dependency and they learned to trust. And God always showed himself to be faithful third thing, and this is the point of it. I think I've said it enough, but just to show, it is all to show that the people could trust him. This was intended, this miracle was not just to feed the people, although it was to feed the people and provide for them. It was to show something about who God is. Verse 34, some of the manna is to be kept 
from this moment is to be placed in the temple forever. The temple is kind of like their, their museum. They only kept three things uh, from their history. Um, the Ten Commandments, the staff of Aaron, I believe, that budded, and they kept manna. And they kept it as a remembrance that they could know forever that God provided for them faithfully, that God could be trusted. God did not just want to feed them. He wanted to build their trust and dependency on them through the desert, through a really harsh time. God can be trusted. He is their provider and he is yours. If that is true, if God can be trusted every single day to feed his people, their physical needs, their spiritual needs, if that is true, then why did they struggle with grumbling and why do we? That's what I wanna ask for the next half. Let's take a little bit of a break and come back in about five-ish minutes. The table, then I don't know what it is. <laughs> okay, so first half we talked about God being provider and God uh, testing his people for their good and forming us. Um, the second half, I wanna talk about um, the, the key start of this, which is complaining. It was grumbling. Why do we grumble? I want to read that uh, text at the very beginning, verse 2. It said, the entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses. The entire community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt... When we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted, instead, you brought us into the wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. It's just, I mean, the, the drama, you know, you, you could read that however many ways, like, oh, we sat by pots of meat, like just meat, you know, I don't know. Um, so much um, complaining, so much grumbling there. It is, it is crazy. If I can just say this, um, if you've learned one thing from this, from verse three, is that church, you really are not you when you're hungry. You need to eat a spiritual Snickers or something. <laughs> but some of the things you can see is that they are angry. They are pointing the finger at Moses and God and saying that God tried to bring us out them here to kill them. And they are angry and delusional. I don't know if you remember back in Exodus 14. It hasn't been that long since we've been there. But I don't remember reading much about uh, pots of meat and buffets of bread. Um, they are thinking back on their slavery as if it was one big buffet. Forgetting the parts of working to death. Forgetting the parts of people actively trying to kill them. They have a spirit of grumbling and discontentment that is just warping the way they're thinking about them, about the whole situation. And one thing that can be said is that they have overstepped in the things that they have said towards God. You ever overstepped when it comes towards things that you've said to your parents? I have definitely overstepped sometimes. 
In fact, if I remember two things from my childhood, I remember uh, two distinct phrases. One is, Alec, you take jokes too far. I remember hearing that. Followed by, go get the belt. <laughs> it's, it's time for your whooping. <laughs> and it's okay. It's okay. I'm, I'm okay now. Um, Israel, I'm okay, it's all right. Israel overstepped with God, and, and this is the second time, actually, they have accused God, their Savior, of trying to be their murderer. If you remember the time when, when God uh, sent Moses to bring them out, and the first time he failed and, and their workload increased, they accused Moses of putting a sword in the hand of the Egyptians to kill them. Second time, they've accused their savior of being their murderer. They have overstepped, and it is time for their whooping if I was the father. Um, except he doesn't. Except he, in verse 4, responds, I am going to rain bread for you. Not a hint of anger, not a hint of malice, no hurt, not the silent treatment. He says, in the face of such radical disrespect, I'll provide for you. That is the fatherhood of God. Gently, graciously, in the face of such disrespect, providing for his people. I want you to remember this moment because you and I, we, we sin and we sin in many ways. We're not perfect and sometimes it is right in God's face. There's times when we pray a prayer and then we go do the very thing that we prayed against. Sometimes we ask for forgiveness and then we go do the same thing. We know that we're gonna do it even when we pray it. We disrespect God to his face and when we do that, I want you to remember how kind God is, how gracious. I, I never want any of us to use that as an excuse to keep living the life that we're living and that's antagonistic to God and, and disrespecting him. But don't forget, wherever you are, that you can always run back to Jesus. He is kind, he is gracious, he brings us back to himself. The New Testament says his kindness leads us to repentance and you even see it in Exodus. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is a God of grace. That is who God is. And if that is who God is, then my question is, why do we complain? He's gracious. He's with us. He provides for us. What do we have to complain? I, I don't know if I need to like illustrate this, but I, I, I know myself and I know I can be a complainer. And I know that some of us, most of us, let's say all of us, all of us, we are complainers. That we view life in the past as better than we thought it was. That even the most silent and stoic among us can just have a time when it just reaches our limit. 
talking about school, family, work, work relationships, singleness, money, friendships, and just generally how you think you're doing in life can just be seasoned with an attitude of, of discontentment and unthankfulness. We voice our displeasure that comes from our distrust in God. And sometimes we do that in the, uh, in the guise of venting, you know. 95% of the time when I'm in a conversation and either someone else says I'm gonna vent or I say I'm gonna vent, it's, it's complaining. It's complaining, it's grumbling about how things are not going our way. It shows that we have a spirit of discontentment, that we believe that God's ways are not actually for us and that this time he's not gonna use. I wanna give four reasons why grumbling is so dangerous to the community and to your spirituality. The first one is grumbling is one of those things that we call an acceptable sin. It is an acceptable sin in our life. Something that we really don't call out in others and we kind of give a pass in the church, especially when we are the ones that are doing it. Um, any sin that leads us away from God's plan is leading us away from the joy that God has created us to be. Remember God's tests. Remember who he is forming you into. He is forming you into the holy people of God. Anything out of that is not acceptable. And yet this is one of those things that we can give a pass. You're made for gratitude, not grumbling. Second thing we see is that grumbling, a spirit of grumbling and discontentment is actually infectious. Um, in the verse two, I believe, it said the entire camp of Israel was grumbling. How was the entire camp of Israel grumbling? You know, it probably started out with a few people that were just voicing their concerns. They were just keeping it real. They just had some problems with management. I don't know. They were saying things that came from a spirit of discontentment that in reality were sin. And it spread around. It was infectious. I want to remind you that your very words have power over other people. Do you reflect gratitude and trust? Or do you reflect bitterness and grumbling? Third thing that we see the danger of grumbling is that it distorts the past. Distorts the past. It can make slavery seem good. Remember how good we had in Egypt? Remember those times? Remember all those good days? Israelites don't have short-term memory loss. It had only been a month before the time that they had got there. They have a spirit of discontentment that leads them to not trust God today can make the old days look good, forgetting that the old days weren't actually that good. Church, it is so easy for you in your life to think that way, to think that the past is the good days, 
that the past, we had the golden years, you know, the past. Remember back in, back in middle school? Remember back in, back in high school when I was in senior sports or whatever? Man, those were the days, right? Those days will never come again. The, I will never experience days so good as those days. We speak about the past as if it was a golden era, as if it was a paradise. Church, there is no such thing as the good old days. The good old days in the past also had a lot of hardship in them that we just distort. It, it, it distorts us because in the moment it's hard and we don't want to think about those. We think about back then and we live in those days rather than gratitude in the now. The Bible actually commands you not to speak about that. Actually, it's not much of a command. It's actually more wisdom. It says that do not say that the good old days were better than these because you do not know what God will do in the future. Always believe that the best is yet to come, that God has more for you in your life, that there's more joy, there's more sanctification, there's more of himself that he is going to reveal to you. Don't get caught living in the past. God is moving you towards the future. And if you need just a proof for that, if you just need something just to seal the deal on that, remember that you were made for heaven when you will be with God forever. And I promise you, whatever good old days you had, whatever you were in middle school will not be as good as when you're with Jesus. There is so much more to come. Do not get caught in the past. and Do not let your current grumbling distort that. Fourth thing is that grumbling dishonors God. They thought they were speaking against Moses and Aaron, but in reality, they were speaking against God. You brought us out here to starve us. Moses actually clarified that it was against God and God only. A complaining heart reveals an untrusting spirit. Be careful with your words. Be careful with the gratitude and the ungratitude expressed in your words. It honors and dishonors the Lord who has given you everything you need. I want to give you three brief reasons, um, just things that I've been reflecting on and talking to students about. Um, just in your time, um, what are the three main reasons why college students grumble? Just, just to get it practical. You know, because we, we talk about it up here and say a lot of things, but things that we see college students grumbling all the time. The first one, reasons why college students grumble is uh, fear and anxiety. Um, fear and anxiety that comes from a desire to control, a desire that comes from the future, um, that's living in the future. Just remember, Jesus speaks about that in Matthew 6. Do not worry in the presence. We can get so caught up in what might be that we can't live and be grateful in the moment. The second thing is comparison, that we look around to left and right. And when we look around to the left and right, it, it makes it hard for us to just enjoy what God has given us in the moment. And the third one that I really just want to spend time on is entitlement. When things do not go our way, we grumble. 
Classes aren't A's, grumble. Friends aren't available, feel mistreated. Phone battery isn't charged. I, I know you guys. Heavy sigh. If anyone doesn't think they have the entitlement, let them go one day without their phone and just see what kind of feelings come up. We are an entitled people because we have an unstated assumption that life is supposed to go our way. And we blend that over into the spiritual life too. Our idea of Christianity is a pathway of heaven that is more or less smooth with no bumps in the road, no tests. I follow God. He fills me up completely. I've got joy. I want to read my Bible every single morning. And if it's not that, then God's robbing me of something. Spiritual entitlement. And that's why I thank God for the tests that he gives us. I thank God for the dry seasons. I thank God for the moments where we have to challenge, we have to lean into faith and relearn dependency on God because it reminds us that our faith is not about us. There's a Charles Spurgeon quote that I want to read to you that really gets at this point. He said, God brings his people oftentimes into difficulties that being made conscious of their weaknesses, they may be fitted to behold the majesty of God when he comes forth to work for their deliverance. He whose life is one even and smooth path will see little of the glory of the Lord, for he has few occasions of self-emptying. If life is always easy and smooth for you, you've got no reason to learn to trust in God. You've got no reason to learn what it means to depend on him every day for your daily bread. And if that's the case, then you won't be able to experience the glory of the Lord like he wants you to. Thank God for the challenges and relearn dependency on him. We've said it a couple times in this sermon already, but the remedy to grumbling is trust. Trust expressed in gratitude. Trust that God truly has your best in mind. I've worked at a church camp. I've actually worked at different church camps uh, over the course of my life. And some of them, I get the joy of being the, uh, the guy on the, uh, the trust tower. I don't know what they call it. The, I, I should call it the fear tower if you've ever been on one. There's these things called uh, like telephone poles. Um, I don't know what you, what you call them. There's telephone poles. You've heard of the things called telephone poles. Um, you, you hook up to a harness and you climb up a telephone pole and at the very top you stand on a telephone pole. Has anyone ever done this? Okay. Alpine Tower, as some people call it. I call it a Tower of Terror. Um, and at the other side, you jump and you try and catch um, a bar or something. And all the while hooked into harness and you're not going to fall into your death. Um, I got the chance to, uh, to work on some of these and help kids go up the Tower of Terror um, a couple times. And here's what you see. Here's what you see. You always see kids, every single person, they say they trust. Everyone trusts at the bottom. Harness is good. It's good. We're good. 
They trust me, the counselor. They trust their parents who's with them. And they climb up the top. They get to the top. And without fail, they got the the knees going because the wind's going. And those that get to the top, they're tested to see if they actually trust. And when the fear is there and things aren't going their way, sometimes they don't actually trust. Trust enough to leap out and catch the bar or at least fail and fall into the arms of the harness. And the ones that are mastered by their fear, it does not matter what I have to say to them. It does not matter what their parents say to them. It doesn't matter if you're cussing, you're hollering, you're saying whatever you want. It does not matter if you're reasoning with them and saying, oh, the harness is so nice. It doesn't matter. They don't trust. They're going to walk back down, not able to jump out and truly trust. But here's also what I noticed, is that there's another type of kid that is just insane and just climbs up there without a second thought, stands up and just jumps out into it. Um, Either one, they have no sense of self-regard, potentially true. Um, But I believe that those types, that type of student has been trained, trained to overcome their fear, trained to trust where they should. They know, they know if they fall that they're gonna be okay. They have done it several times and they've seen how it comes out and that enables them at the top to make the leap. Trust is what God is trying to form in the Israelites. No matter how many times they fall and trust is what God is trying to form in us. Trust and faith are synonymous and trust has to be trained in us. You believe it, but you've got to step forward in it. You can trust God no matter what situation you're in. I believe that fundamentally. I believe that from my past. I believe that from what we've read, that God is the provider of manna every single day. And I also believe that because there was another man who was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. There was another man 2,000 years later, who was tested. Only this time, he was tested by Satan. There was another man who, being taught his followers every day to view life as a gift from God, he said, pray for your daily bread. This man was Jesus Christ. And he also gave his people miraculous bread from God 2,000 years later, re-walking through the story the Israelites walked through. Only this time he did it perfectly. And right after the time that he gave the Israelites, the people of God, the bread from heaven in John 6, he said this to them, that if you eat this bread, you will never hunger again. I'm just going to read it for you. John 6, verse 48 says this. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh. 
which I will give for the life of the world. People responded to him when he gave them food. They say, give us this bread always. We don't want to be hungry again. And he says, I will, I will give you myself. That's what God does. God is the provider. He provides for his people. He provides their most basic needs, their physical needs, their spiritual needs, and he provides himself. He has given them Jesus to die on the cross in their place so that they may have life everlasting. I don't know where you guys are when you hear this stuff. It's a sermon on grumbling. It's a sermon on on the, the provision of God. But I just want you to know that Jesus promises he will satisfy you. If you eat of him, a symbol for communion, what you partake in transforms you in your deepest place. If he says, if you will let me in, I will satisfy your deepest longing forever. You will never hunger again. See, I am the bread of life. I give it freely for the world. I give it to you if you want it. To my non-Christians in the room or my Christians that are wandering and you're seeing things that, that might not be Jesus, you're seeking satisfaction after him. I just want to remind you that Jesus offers satisfaction in him alone. He says, I'm the bread of life and I give it for you. It could be yours. To my Christians in the room, I want to encourage you to reject all kinds of grumbling. If God is your provider, that means that God has given you everything you need. He's given you your needs and he's given you himself to satisfy you. Do you trust him, your provider, both now and forever? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for another night that we can just come up and open your word. Um, Lord, I am just humbled um, by the chance. I know that it is your power that even gives us the chance to believe. And so, Lord, I pray for your power. Um, I pray that you would just open our eyes to see you clearly. God, in the Old Testament, you said you provide for your people every single day for 40 years. You were faithful. When they disrespected you, you responded with grace. God, help us know that, that that is who you are and believe it and transform us. And then Jesus, you said that you are the true bread and that you satisfy us and you give us life. God, I pray that everyone in this room can know that. And they can have that for themselves. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that it transforms us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.